Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya. So once again, I greet you with our normal greeting. Glory to Jesus Christ. All the fancy ones are behind us now. That marvelous cycle of the birth of Christ, his condescension, his descending from heaven, and his rising up, his ascending, and then sending the Holy Spirit, which may all those wonderful greetings, Christ is born, glorify him. Christ is circumcised. Christ is risen. Christ is ascended. All those wonderful sayings. Now we're back to the so-called ordinary sayings. In the Latin Rite Church, this time of year is called the ordinary time. We're past all the big, high holy days, that magnificent cycle of Christ birth and resurrection. And we're into what they call ordinary. In the Eastern churches, we call this the Sundays after Pentecost. So we number them, you know, first Sunday, second Sunday, third, etc. There's 30 some Sundays. And that then bumps us up into the cycle of, once again, of the nativity of our Lord. And so we have 30 some weeks here of what we call normal or ordinary or the Sundays after Pentecost. However, what is ordinary really is extraordinary and vice versa. You see, we really need this so-called ordinary time or the times after Pentecost. I know I need them as a priest. The reason is, is because it's kind of like really rich food. Ever gone to a fancy restaurant, like a four or five star restaurant, a real gourmet kind of restaurant? And notice whenever they serve food, they serve small portions. It's not spilling all over the plate, all full of goop and everything like in most restaurants, although nothing against restaurants. I like them. I support them. But the average restaurant relies a lot on giving you a lot for your money, volume. And usually there's a lot of sauces on there. I call it goop, you know, because it's unnecessary, I think. But they do it because I guess it sells. Okay, the restaurants have to stay in business. And I, I admit that and I help support them. But what they do is they rely a lot of volume, a lot of like rich sauces and so on. Whereas the five-star restaurant will rely on smaller portions, but those portions will be very, very rich in flavor 
and in freshness and in quality of the food. So you don't have to eat a lot to feel satisfied. You can eat much more in moderation, but the experience is richer. And then they come out with very rich desserts and fine wines and so on. Well, the liturgical cycle is something like that. We can't stay all the time on things that are really, really rich. I mean, they're wonderful. But again, it's something like the sun. When you have a very sunny day and the sun is out, it's beautiful. It's wonderful, isn't it? But if you stay out in the sun too long, especially without any sunscreen or protection, it could actually hurt you because it's so rich. And we're not designed to stay on that level, the peak levels, the richest levels all the time. Perhaps in heaven, it will be that way. But on earth, we touch these pink moments. We touch these really rich moments. Just like once in a while, you may go to a fancy restaurant, but you can't do that on a steady diet, on a steady pattern, because first of all, it's too expensive. But also because sometimes you just need food that's maybe a little more plain. It has to do with the cycles of our body. It has to do with the cycles of life itself, where we have a rising action. Think of, think of it as the bell curve. We have a rising action. It rises up, peak moment, and then we start to come out of that, and then we have a resolution, and then the whole cycle repeats. That's how the liturgical cycle is, and that is a very human cycle. You see, when you are involved in liturgy and the life of the church, you're involved in what is the rhythm of life the correct rhythm of life that God has designed into life on this earth. And that rhythm has those different stages. So it's not just all peak. And sometimes we want the peak all the time, but we can't take it. We're not designed to take the peak, the richness, all the time. We're designed to really plunge ourselves into those moments of peakness, the great high holy days, and to really relish them and enjoy them. Same thing with Lent. Lent is a a time of very strict penance and abstinence from food and so on. And we can't stay on that diet all the time. Now, the great spiritual masters, such as the monks, did that most of the year. But that was their calling. That was their life. The ordinary person cannot be so extraordinary, although ordinary and extraordinary, basically one and the same. I'll get to that in a moment. But think of it in this bell curve, the rising up, the peak, rich moments, and then the coming out of it. But coming out of it and rising up to it gradually, not cold turkey, not plowing into it without preparation, and not just jumping out of it either. See, that's what we have during the liturgical cycles of the seasons. We have the buildup, you know, the fasting periods. We have the feast day itself, the high celebrative holy days. Then we have the what's called the post-festive, where we continue the, the residue of the high holy day, of the peak moment, and then eventually we come out of it and move on to the next cycle. Well, now we're off of the great high holy days, the peaks of the liturgical year, and we're into the ordinary time. And we do need that. I know as a priest, I need it. got to sort of catch my breath because the liturgical peaks, the high holy days, Christmas and Paschal cycles are very rich, very demanding. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but they're very demanding in every way, especially for a priest. And I appreciate just ordinary time. Ever gone on a trip, gone to some place that's just really exciting and wonderful, but at the same time, you you kind of long to just just get back home and my backyard, just kind of kick back and enjoy just kind of like nothing, nothing really eventful. I experience that whenever I'm away at some 
peak moment, some very intensive and wonderful conference or experience. Maybe it's a travel out of the country and so on. Rich, rich, wonderful experiences. But while I'm there, after a while, I start to kind of long for, I just kind of wish I was at home where there's nothing really great going on. I could just kind of let down and kick back. And that's not a comment on the peak experience at all. The peak experience is what it is. And we relish that and immerse ourselves in it, but we are not made to stay there all the time, either whether it comes to our diet, our food, our experiences, even in prayer. We have peak moments of prayer with our Lord, but there's other times of prayer which are not so peakish, (laughs) not so rich and climactic, and that's okay. It's just like a relationship with a human being. You're not always speaking with someone on an intense, deep level, are you? Sometimes it's very light or it's very casual, very inconsequential, but it's still communication. It's still presence and relationship. Same thing with God and the same thing with the liturgical cycles of the season. But even though we are in the so-called ordinary time, or as we say in the Byzantine church, the Sundays after Pentecost or the weeks after Pentecost, at the same time, ordinary and extraordinary are in a sense one of the same To be what we call extraordinary, that was the high peak times, and to be fasting in a very intense way, celebrating in a very intense way, that actually is what the true, quote-unquote, ordinary is. The ordinary is the extraordinary, vice versa. We see that in the events and lives of Jesus Christ and his blessed mother and St. Joseph. You see, they lived lives of what we call virginal realities. Virgin Mary, Joseph, Christ were virginal. This means singularly focused on God, which brought them beyond what we experience here on earth, such as marriage with physical expression of love in terms of the marital union and so on. It brought them beyond that, not because marital union is lesser, but because Living virginally, and this refers to many levels, living virginally is a way of living what is to come, living on earth what is to come, living the eschaton, where it's going to be probably the peaks that we have on earth, those peaks will be all the time in heaven in their own way. At least this is one way I can try to explain it. It's kind of hard to explain because it's a great mystery. But that which is we consider to be extraordinary, the Virgin Mary, for instance, entering into eternal life, body and soul intact, we celebrate that because it's extraordinary, but it's really ordinary. She was the new Eve. She was how the ordinary was supposed to be. It's just that we lost that, and so whenever we regain it through the Virgin Mary, for instance, it seems like extraordinary. Yes, it's extraordinary because it's happening in a world that has fallen, that has lost the reference point for the true ordinary. I hope this isn't too confusing for you. I'll try to make it a little more simple when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, 
we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Royal. The topic of modesty and its epic battles between mom and daughter will once again rise along with the temperatures and crocuses of springtime. It's his responsibility to control himself. As a woman, I will wear whatever I want to wear. Is hardly sensitive, tolerant, enlightened, mutually respectful, or Catholic. St. John Paul II reminded us, the human body is never in itself an occasion for lust. Modesty and purity of heart are based on how the glories of the human body are presented and how they are received. Since God hardwired men to be more visually responsive, especially to womanhood, modesty is simply about asking women to assist men in their duty to perceive and relate to women according to God's design. Modesty in no way shifts the responsibility entirely onto the woman. It is not an objectification, subjugation, or sexualization of women, nor is it gender discrimination or prudishness. Modesty reveals a woman's self-possession, her intelligent awareness of the inherent dignity of her femininity, but also her mature understanding of the fallen side of both masculinity and femininity. I doubt if any young lady would wear leggings instead of a formal gown at her wedding. She knows that it really does matter how she presents her feminine body and through that, her person. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host during this ordinary, which is extraordinary time, and extraordinary is the ordinary. I know it was kind of a brain twister, but this is how we understand things, especially when we experience the liturgy of the church, because the liturgy of the church draws us into the actual rhythm of life, the ultimate reality, the way God designed things to be in this life and in the next. So the ordinary what we call ordinary, should be the extraordinary and vice versa. As I mentioned earlier, extraordinary things are things that we say are extraordinary, such as the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and the Virgin Mary entering into heaven, body and soul together. Those things we look at as extraordinary. In other words, they're out of the rhythm, seemingly the rhythm or rules of nature on this side of eternity. However, they're not so much out of the ordinary or out of the rules or, or of the laws of nature on earth. Rather, they're a return to the true reality of the laws of nature on earth. Earth was meant to be much closer to heaven, the eschaton, than it is now. Remember, in the Our Father, we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's incarnation and the words of the Our Father tell us that this earth is supposed to be a lot like heaven, or very, very reminiscent, very similar, a participation in heaven, an immersion in heaven, not the fullness of it, but a much closer experience of it than what we consider or associate as so-called ordinary or normal. So the extraordinary is a return. It's not going out of and leaving behind this earthly life. It's actually a return to the true meaning, the original design for this earthly life. Adam and Eve were not designed to die, as we know death. They were designed to do as the Virgin Mary did, 
as what happened to her and to Jesus Christ. To move into the next life serenely, peacefully, body and soul intact, no separation of body and soul as we know it because of original sin. So whenever someone such as Christ, the Virgin Mary, goes bodily into heaven, this is actually a return to the ordinary. And yes, it ends up at the eschatological, in other words, the ultimate destiny. So it's a return to ordinary and yet taking it beyond. The same thing in our day-to-day life. The intense prayer that we do during the Lenten season and other times is actually a throwback to a touchstone to what is ordinary. It's just that we're not able to stay on that level completely on this side of eternity. But whenever we touch that level, when we're praying always, just as they do in some monasteries, they actually have in the Eastern monasteries, they have 24-7 prayer going on. They actually take shifts So the prayer never stops because in the scripture, it calls us to pray unceasingly, to actually become prayer, not just to pray, but to become prayer. And when that happens, what we're doing is we're returning to our original state and we're touching the eschaton. You see, in the original state, Adam and Eve were to be beings of constant prayer, meaning They were to experience the beauty and goodness of the Garden of Eden, of this earth, and be in a perpetual state of wonderment and awe and gratitude to God for that. They didn't have to be doing any repentance, not yet. All they had to do was rejoice and praise God. Imagine that. Imagine if somebody kept flooding the most wonderful things that could possibly flood into your life and never stopped you would never stop saying thank you. Your whole life would become a perpetual prayer of praise and thanksgiving. That is normal. That is the quote-unquote ordinary. The extraordinary actually becomes that which is not perpetual prayer, perpetual God consciousness, perpetual gratitude. What becomes ordinary is the unceasing prayer, the constant consciousness of God. And this is very characteristic of the Eastern churches. This is why we have long services or long prayers. It's always amusing to me. I'll get a call oftentimes, and the question will be, what time is your Mass on Sunday? And I will respond, our divine liturgy is at 10 o'clock. The next question is always, how long is it? And my answer is, It's timeless. Why is it timeless? Why do we have long prayers or services in the the Eastern churches? And that's a little bit of an exaggerated myth. We think of long services. We think, oh my goodness, I got to be in church for hours and hours and hours. I got other things to do. I got to get to the game, watch a movie, go on a picnic, go to a party, visit friends. I got things to do. I can't stay in church all day. Well, it's not that we do that all day long. The services in the Eastern churches generally are a little bit longer. Not not tremendously longer, but a bit longer, with a lot of words to them, a lot of chanting, long prayers, a lot of words. We never really stop. We hardly ever stop even to catch our breath. Many Latin Rite Catholics, whenever they attend some of our services, they're almost breathless, or they wanted that break because they're used to that, because in their services, it's a little bit slightly different approach to prayer. Both valid, again, both valid, but just different, like man and woman. That's the whole 
genius of the two lungs of the church, the complementarity. But in the Eastern churches, we have this sort of ongoing, unceasing prayer. It never stops. And we hardly can catch our breath. And the reason is, is because we're constantly trying to catch up with God, catch up with the reality of God, to find yet another word to express our overflowing gratitude and appreciation and wonderment of God. It's almost like we're tripping over ourselves. Have you ever been very, very excited about something and try to explain it to persons? And what you do is you, you, you trip over the words and you find the words and you say, oh, I, it's, it, it, I can't explain exactly, but, but it was like this, it was like this. And, and you're excited and you're trying to find the words, you try another word, you try another sentence, you try another description, you repeat yourself 10 times because it's not adequate to express this incredible experience that you had, whether it was a tragic one you're a witness to an accident or involved in a terrible accident, unfortunately, or whether it's a very, very joyful one. Either way, whatever involved in a very intense experience, we grope for ways to express it. We grope for words and phrases and so on. Well, so it is with our gratitude and excitement about Almighty God. And also, as a result, by default, our incredible awareness of our unworthiness or nothingness compared to this great God. This is why in the Eastern churches, we're the church of quote-unquote mercy, constantly having litanies that say, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. They punctuate our entire liturgical service. We always come back to a litany, and there's different types, but we're forever asking for mercy. Why? Because we're forever noticing and grateful, our hearts leaping, abounding in joy over such a great and awesome God. So the two go together, but we never stop because you never stop seeing God. At least we shouldn't. You never stop experiencing God. And God never stops with his overflowing love and graces for us, especially if you're open to that. And we see that the graces, the presence of God overflows. It is everywhere present and filling all things, as we say in our prayer to the Holy Spirit in the Byzantine church. If that's true, then everywhere present and constantly will be our prayer, I call it God consciousness. A lot of times people have trouble with prayer. I tell them, think of it more as God consciousness, not just saying prayers. Lord, you stop, you try to get a prayer book or try to make up a prayer own words. You can't do it so well. You try to remember a prayer you were taught by your grandma or a nun when you were little or something like that. And a lot of times people think that that's the limits of prayer. And so they don't do so well. So they say, well, I don't pray or I don't know how to pray. Think of prayer as God consciousness, constantly conscious of Almighty God. And if you're that way, prayer will well up in you. You'll know what to say. The Holy Spirit will speak in you. And yes, you will come to know and be more familiar with the formal prayer of the church called the divine office or the Psalms. But prayer in your own words, too, are prayers that you knew as a child you should have learned, the Hail Mary, the Our Father, the Glory Be, those kinds of things. They will become more sincere, more handy for you, more ready for you, more readily available in your heart, if we are God-conscious. And so in the liturgical life of the church, what I'm talking about here exists there. And when we step into that, it seems extraordinary. Church is so different from our regular life. But actually, when you step into church in that kind of unceasing prayer, you actually are stepping into the ordinary. This is where you find your real self. 
is in the liturgical life and prayer of the church. Yes, you find it in your personal prayer, but especially in the liturgical prayer, because that's the fullest expression of prayer. That's where we come together as community in a very, very formal and intense, comprehensive way, in an intimate way, unite our hearts together and raise them up to God. So the life of the church draws us into the extraordinary that actually becomes the ordinary. We're being ordinary humans when we're in church. That's right, you dress up, put on your Sunday best. That's different, right? That's not ordinary clothes. Well, actually, that's supposed to be the ordinary clothes because we present ourselves, as we say in the Byzantine church, our garment, we wear a garment, and that's metaphorically speaking and also physically, a garment of glory to God, of honoring God, the garment of our countenance, of our, our behavior, the look in our eye, as well as the garments of how we dress, which expresses what's going on inside of us. So the garment is a symbol of our right posture before God, which occurs in its highest point in the liturgy of the church. And there we are most human. And what seems to be very extraordinary is actually the ordinary. And if we can think back to the Garden of Eden before sin and look ahead to heaven, especially with the examples of the Virgin Mary and Christ going to heaven, body and soul, then we can rediscover that the ordinary really was meant to be what we call today extraordinary. So let's go forth now in this ordinary time and be extraordinarily ordinary. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. News from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic News perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.